You're listening to Double Edged Sword, the podcast channel of Pastor Kilgo, where we dig into the Holy Scriptures to be instructed in the truth, to stand in the light, and have eternal life. May you be richly blessed by the Lord and His Word. A reading from Jonah, chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where have you come from? And what is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea had grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, The men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Romans chapter 13. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. 
And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, you know we live in the midst of so many dangers that in our frailty we cannot stand upright. Grant strength and protection to support us in all dangers and carry us through all temptations. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, Jesus has spent all day preaching the great Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. We mentioned that a little bit last week. And then he's come down from the mountain, and immediately he is confronted by people. He's confronted by the leper, who he heals of his leprosy, and he's confronted by the centurion, who he then heals his uh, paralyzed servant. And then, we are skipping over this this week, he goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house, and he heals her of her disease, and she gets up and begins serving them. And then they start bringing in all manner of people who have unclean spirits, and all manner of people who have various diseases, and he spends the entire night casting out demons and healing diseases. And then at the end of this, he gets in a boat, and understandably enough, he goes to sleep. Our Lord is tired. But he's also secure. He knows that he's safe. He knows that nothing is going to happen to him. He knows that his time is not yet, is what he already confessed to Mary uh, uh, concerning the, the wedding at Cana. Remember this, my hour is not yet come. His hour is not there on the boat. He will die, but not yet. And so he sleeps, secure. Jesus has been taking care of everything. And now that he's resting, he's still upholding all things in creation, even in his sleep. But the disciples seem to miss this. Because as they're sailing across, a great storm appears on the sea. It, it's great enough that it freaks out even these fishermen. You remember that the majority of the disciples are skilled fishermen. It's what their vocation is. And they can't deal with this great storm that's come up on the Sea of Galilee. And so they cry out to Jesus, O Lord, save us. We're dying. And Jesus gets up and he gives two rebukes. He rebukes the disciples. Why are you afraid? And he rebukes the sea. Be still. And there's a great calm and the disciples look at this in awe and wonderment and they make this confession. What sort of man is this? that even the sea and the waves obey him. Jesus was reminding us here of a couple of things that are immensely important for us. Jesus, first, is reminding us that he is the one who is in control, always. Whether it seems like he's sleeping in the back of the boat or not, he's in control. And he is also reminding us that he does not ever 
abandon us, despite what external appearances might seem. Now, we should first remember with this whole deal that this is actually a real storm on a real sea. It's not the storms of life. It's the storms of the Sea of Galilee. And we need to resist the temptation to immediately allegorize this text into something else. We'll get there. But we need to remember that this is actually a real storm that comes up that the disciples can't deal with. And this is reminding us that when we encounter storms in life, real actual storms, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, fires, whatever it might be, that we are in those things reminded of just how not in control we are. You can think back maybe to last year uh, with the big cold snap that came through that despite all of our best efforts, we still had pipes that were freezing and uh, various issues occurring because of how cold it got. Despite all of our best efforts, despite all of our preparations, the only thing we could do at the end of the day was just wait the thing out, wait until the Lord gave us some warmth again. And this is the reality with all storms. We, we can put in various mitigation effects, but ultimately, we can't control them. And we simply have to wait until the Lord stops sending it. And this reminds us also that because the Lord is the one who sends it and the Lord is the one who is in control of it, that it is not something for us to be afraid of. The disciples look at this storm and they are afraid because it's outside of their control and they don't know what to do and they think they're going to die. And so they call out to Jesus, O Lord, save us, we're dying. And Jesus asks them this question, why are you afraid? And in this word that Jesus uses here for fear is built in this, this deeper understanding and that is of worship and reverence and awe. Why He's essentially asking the disciples, why is the storm your God when I'm sitting right here? Because fear and worship go together. In fact, fear is probably the best way we can figure out where our idols are. You remember this, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. So we've got three things that we can look at to figure out where our gods are, where our idols are. Fear, love, and trust. Well, it turns out that love and trust are a little bit hard to nail down in our lives. If I were to ask you as you're coming out, and I ask every single one of you, what do you love? And then what do you trust? You know, you know the right answer. So after you give me what you know the right answer is, then you're probably giving me a lot of similar answers. What, what do you love? I love my family, I love my church, these sorts of things. It's good. Uh, what, what do I trust? Uh, maybe the answer is no one, right? Um, but then you get, what do you fear? And I would be willing to bet that however many people are sitting in here right now, I will get about that many different answers. And you can try this out for yourself. Just go and ask people as you're walking around like on Mass Street or something, what do you love? What do you trust? What do you fear? And see what sort of answers you get. Ask your friends and your neighbors this and see what sort of answers you get. And I think that you will be amazed at the fear question, that it's kind of all over the place. 
But this is where it's so easy to see where our idols are. They are the things that we are afraid of. Because fear is very easy to find. And when we find the fear, we find what it is that we are worshiping. And we remember that whatever we worship will also instruct us in how to live and will in fact change us. Uh, The psalmist gives us this reminder that they become like the idols they worship. That was in Psalm 135. Jesus reminds us, though, a couple chapters after this text, exactly where our fear is supposed to be. He says, Do not fear him who can destroy the body. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the body and soul in hell. This is where we can see, then, that there are not just physical storms that we have to deal with, that we are tempted to be afraid of, but that there are also uh, what we might call the storms of life or the the allegorized storms that we're tempted to be afraid of. And and this is kind of how it goes. So here's the picture, is that you're standing there and God's standing next to you and you've got this whole line of things in front of you and each one's coming up trying to earn your fear, trying to get your fear. So you get the hurricanes and the tornadoes and the sea storms and the earthquakes. And they stand in front of you and they say, be afraid of me. And so we look at that and we say, well, that kind of looks scary. Maybe I ought to be afraid of that. And we look over to the Lord who's standing next to us and we say, hey, God, should I be afraid of that? And he looks up and he says, no, fear me. And then next in line, sickness shows up and say, well, that, that, that seems kind of bad. I, I should probably be afraid of that. Let, let me check. And you look over at God and say, hey, God, what about this? Should I, should I be afraid of this? And he says, no, don't fear that. Fear me. And then we've got a surgery coming up. There's some sort of doctor appointment that we're nervous about. And say, well, I should probably be afraid of that. And we check with God. He says, no, don't fear. Fear me. And over and over, this whole line of things comes up. Our reputation, our society that we live in, our grades, finals week, yeah, our job performance or even having a job, having enough money, Pain, loneliness. This list that Paul gives us in Romans 8, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. They come up one after another and we look at them and we say, well, I, I should probably be afraid of that. It looks like something I should be afraid of. And we check with God and he just shakes his head. No, fear me. And then we get the last two and they come up next to each other. Death and the devil. Here's how the author of the Hebrews put this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. The death and the devil come up arm in arm, and they say, look at us. There's nothing more frightening. Be afraid. 
And the devil sits there and he growls like a roaring lion because he's trying to devour you. And death is just this, I don't know how you picture it, it's like this abyss of darkness. And you shiver. And you look at God and say, that, that seems, this, this seems really bad. This seems really, really scary. I, I should definitely be afraid of this, I'm sure. And God just shakes his head. No. Don't be afraid. Fear me. And then the line's empty. All of a sudden, there's nobody left in line. Our, our fear line is gone. And something incredible happens. The Lord steps in front of us and he becomes the line. And we say, well, God, I guess you're the only one left in line. I guess I should be afraid of you. And a pretty marvelous thing happens. He says, no, don't be afraid. And we look at him kind of confused and say, why? And I said, I should fear you. And he said, yeah, but look over there. And there's his son dying. He says, if I love you enough to send my son to suffer and be crucified for you, if I love you enough to send Jesus to take all of your sins into his body, if my love is such that I give you my only begotten son, how will I not also give you all things? Do not fear. Now, this is easier said than done on this side of the resurrection. In this life, we will face all manner of temptations to place our fear into things other than God. And when we do, the Lord desires that we come to him in that, like the disciples did, even in our fear, and pray to him for his aid. And so when you are afraid, come to God. O oh Lord, save me. I'm dying. And even if it seems like the Lord's asleep in the back of the boat, he's not. He's listening to you. He hears your cries for mercy, and he answers them. He pushes these things out of your fear line, and he reminds you that these things have been conquered, and that he has given you all good things in their place. He pushes the things away, and he points you back to his son dying on the cross and says, do not be afraid. And you look out at the devil and at death and at sickness and at pain and at storms in the sea and cold snaps, and you say, Lord, save me, I'm dying. And he does. He reminds you not to be afraid, but he also saves you. He gives you his word and his promises. He gives you his perfect love to drive out fear. He gives you his righteousness and his perfection, his death and his resurrection. He points us back to what he's told us through his word and all the assurances that we have there, that God is our savior, that heaven is opened, that death is destroyed, that the devil flees from us when we resist him, that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord, that our sins are forgiven, that we pass from death to life, that he's with us at all times, that he's with us always in the boat in the ark of the Christian church. So that even when the storms come, the physical storms and the figurative storms, we're safe with Jesus, that he holds us in his hands that have been nailed to a cross, 
and that he brings us in those hands with him into everlasting life with him. And at this marvelous promise and this comfort, we behold Jesus like the disciples in the boat, and we marvel. What sort of man is this, that even the wind and the seas obey him? What sort of man is this, that even demons and sickness obey him? What sort of man is this, that even leprosy and paralysis obey him? What sort of man is this, that even water obeys him and turns to wine? What sort of man is this, that even my sins obey him and are cast as far as the east is from the west? That even my filthy heart is made clean? That even my fear is turned to love and joy and peace? That even the devil is driven away at his word? That even death and the grave obeys him? What sort of man is this, that even my body on the last day will obey him when he calls out to me, arise, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. This man is Jesus, and he's your savior, and he is your God, he's your brother. This man is Christ, the soul's great friend. And he is with you always, through every storm, to guard you and to keep you and to preserve you to the end of the ages. In Jesus' name, amen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Double-Edged Sword. If you appreciate the channel, please consider supporting it by going over to my Patreon page, which you can find linked in the description. You can also find other content on the YouTube channel. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.